Hi there. Welcome to How Did They Get There? I'm your host, John Penn. Uh, it's been a while. Things have been happening in the world. One thing is I got to talk to Mark Pellington, legendary film, feature film, music video director, iconic music videos. And I mean, where to even start? They include collaborations with Foo Fighters, Cage the Elephant, Linkin Park, The Fray, Dave Matthews, Michael Jackson, Public Enemy, Flaming Lips, U2, directed the original of the Species music video as well as one. He did the Buffalo version. He made that whale video, that seminal whale video, Hobo Humpin' Slobo Babe. Pearl Jam worked with them, directed Jeremy, worked with De La Soul and that transition period in hip-hop, uh, you know, on that Sano Go video, which is incredible. Public Enemy shut him down, directed that one. I mean, to be fair, he worked at MTV and then really his first, I think, major video uh, was the Noel, that silent morning, talked about that, the guy's in bed, he's thinking about a woman romantically, of course, and then he starts dancing spontaneously on the rooftop, uh, huge crazy in New York, can't forget about that. So then, I mean, I think the Information Society videos, he made a few for them, the What's On Your Mind, you know, pure energy video like tons of colors, like incredible visuals. You know, I think the band members were holding instruments that were, weren't there. They were like draw, drawn or colored in. Silverchair, directed Tomorrow. It's like about the inequality of wealth. I think it takes place on a farm or something crazy like that. Made like four videos for Bon Jovi during that Destination Anywhere period. And then, I mean, he worked with Springsteen, I think around the same time as well. Three Days Grace, Silver Sun Pickups. He made Nightlight. Keen made that Everybody's Changing video, probably one of his most personal videos. Not a surf. He made that Just Wait. Uh, what a great video. Unlike anything else, talked about that. Made a bunch of features. Uh, going All the Way is one. That was with uh, Ben Affleck, Jeremy Davies, Rachel Weitz, and, um, you know, Rose McGowan. I mean, that was incredible. It was like about really two guys, two veterans coming back from the Korean War and settling. I think they were in Indiana or somewhere like kind of rural. Love that movie. Super funny actually, like, but dark. Jeremy Davies plays this really anxious dude. I think that movie's really about adjustment, you know? Affleck's kind of his, I don't know, wingman? I, lame expression. Forget about it. Pellington released the director's cut last year in 2022. And that, I mean, you're talking about almost an hour of new footage tons more music by this this dude Pete Adams just like more darkness man like you got to take a look at it director's cuts are always better in some way you'll get something out of it that you hadn't seen in the original it's like comparing the Margaret director's cut by Kenny Lonergan to the to the original I mean the director's cut can't go wrong three and a half hours baby Arlington Road made that film. I think that got nominated for like a Saturn Award. So great. Such a great film. Jeff Bridges, Tim Robbins, uh, Joan Cusack. That movie, man, it's about like, it's just about confusion. The confusion of like doing something wrong, but thinking that it's right. Trying to save people, but going about it the wrong way, right? That's like Jeff's character. I guess Jeff Bridges's character in that. I don't know. I don't know if I'd say going about it the wrong way, but Maybe putting all the cards in front before 
kind of having a plan to, I don't know, makes it interesting. I like seeing it unfold that way. Mothman Prophecies made that film. Incredible picture. Directed Richard Gere, Laura Linney, Deborah Messing, great performances. That's more of like a psychological thriller, but there are these like horror elements that are visually impeccable. Man, horror films are so interesting. Like I'm thinking about them lately. It's because it's almost Halloween. And then I Melt With You. So fantastic. Uh, I mean, great cast, great performances. You got Thomas Jane in that and Jeremy Piven, Rob Lowe, uh, Christian McKay. He's in that. Really steals the film, man. Carla Gugino, The Last Word, uh, Amanda Seyfried, you know, worked with Shirley MacLaine on that. Thomas Sadowski, you know, people say that was a departure, but I don't know if they're looking at it the right way necessarily. It's very thematically, the undertone has always been there. It's about grief. It's about misunderstanding. It's about adapting, man. Trying to adapt. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? Nostalgia. I mean, really a poetic meditation. John Hamm, Catherine Keener, John Ortiz, Bruce Dern, Ellen Burstyn directed that one. More recent projects include Survive, which is, look, it's about mental illness. I mean, the protagonist has PTSD. It's kind of about, I mean, what the title says, but physically, but then also in an emotional sense, which is just as important. And The Severing, that's like a dance film, kind of in the vein of, I think, Pina, in terms of like the impact of dance on performance and how that's perceived. And I think that's really interesting. Layered with music, of course. You know, we, we talked about this archive that he's putting out called The Visualist, which is about like his 40-year experiences making films, music videos, tons of stuff that he's learned. It's like he's using his lens of experience and legacy to inform some of the learnings of the next generation. And that's, I think, a pretty special thing. So we talked a lot about that, the impetus behind it, some of the things that he learned along the way, starting out at MTV, and then also the process of working with all these different artists and bands over the years, how he kind of channeled those experiences to make his first feature, and then what he learned from subsequent features and experiences along the way. Talked about Soderbergh, PTA, man, that whale video, I can't get that out of my head. But I mean, I, I think I'm all right with that. Yeah. Enjoy the talk. All right. Here's my... Okay, I'll ask afterwards. No, 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 ask me now. Afterwards, do you run this whole thing or you edit it? And just, just I... I'd love to get your, the raw one from my archive. I try to collect it from my archive. I will definitely do that. I edit it and I add some, uh, I try to do my, my John Penn, Genesia version of Mark Pellingtoning it. That's tough to say. And I awesome. add a little music at the beginning, at the end, get things flowing and, uh, yeah, try to make it. But I think most of the raw ingredients, I mean, I think that's really the focus of it, which is basically us talking, you know, and you're a filmmaker. I'm not, I don't know about that. I'm a, I'm a podcast editor. Are you from New York? I live here. I'm mm -hmm. not from here. I actually, um, I, I moved around a lot, but I actually went to high school in Utah in Salt Lake city. I don't know if you've ever been. I've been there. 
Okay. For shooting something or something else? Shot a commercial there. Shot a commercial in Ogden. Went to Park City for Sundance. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Yeah. How'd you like it? It was fun. I- yeah. I'm going to finish my thing so I won't eat during the thing. No, you're good. There's like, uh, I feel like Park City is fun. Ogden, I don't know if there's a lot going on in there. Do you no. Do you remember, where did you shoot there? Do you remember? I did a commercial, a co- like a SUV commercial 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, that's a great place to shoot one of those because you got tons of outdoors shots. Uh, okay. But you didn't grow up there. Uh, you grew up. You grew up in like the Maryland, DC, Virginia thing, right? Baltimore. Okay. Very different than DC. But is aren't they kind of they're like so close to each other? Aren't they like one kind of conglomerate thing? No, that's like telling somebody from San Francisco, like in LA. Oh, that's true. Yeah, very, I know. But very, very different. Yeah. How so? Would you what's the what is okay, the most significant difference? Baltimore is a lot closer to the Mason Dixon line. Okay. Maryland was a free state. Like mm-hmm. Maryland was a very neutral state in the Civil War. Virginia, and it's to the south of it's Virginia, which was just completely redneck racist. Yeah. So, you know, really, really quite different. Baltimore is a lot more like Philly or Pittsburgh or Wilmington, Delaware, very much like, you know, Amtrak. Okay. Virginia town is very like. You know, they still say Yankees and rebel. I get over it, man. Yankees, huh? All right. Literally, it's all fine. You got too many Yankees. We got too. <laughs> it was all fine until all the Yankees showed up. I'm like, are you real? Are you serious? So that's like really the South, more than whatever that area is called, right? It's just you know, once you get past Washington D.C. and you're headed into past Northern Virginia. You're in the South. I went to school in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. Okay. Right? So what just happened in Charlottesville a few years ago? Yeah, not good. Really bad, actually. Really bad. I just watched that great documentary on uh, it's on HBO it's called No Accident. Okay. Wow, I don't know about this. And that's about and the whole thing that happened? Fight to get the conspiracy charges against these guys through and get damages for the plaintiffs. Mm-hmm. These were the people who were also hit by the car. Yeah, Heather, I think that was her name. Yeah. So ultimately, this whole trial and the whole thing, and these guys, these lawyers did an amazing job, just like all the you know digital forensics and just like the emails and confessions and record, like the stuff they un- unearthed to win a $25 million settlement, which is appealed into the ground such that four years later, that 25 becomes $2.5 million Wow. Which is still getting appealed. So the people end up getting nothing. That's terrible, man. Fucking horrible. Horrible. There's no justice. Yeah, that was critical. I mean, I uh, I have only been there once. I lived there when I was a kid. My mom went to UVA. I mean, she trained at UVA. Um, so she does I, what? So she's, she did her fellowship there. She's a, oh, she's okay. a doctor. Yeah. You went what to UVA. Year? Ooh um 90 early 90s how old your mom i don't know if she'll want me to reveal this but uh late 50s all right well she's younger than me okay she was in charlottesville i mean i graduated in 84 
did you like? So, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't really remember UVA that much because I was a kid. I mean, I went there recently, maybe like within the last ten years, and I liked it. I mean, it was really green and stuff. Did you like going to school there? It's a beautiful campus. Yeah, great. I played lacrosse. Yeah, I followed my brother there, who was an All American in lacrosse, because I grew up in you know playing lacrosse in Baltimore. And I had a great time. I DJed. I was able to explore my love of punk rock and new wave music. I played lacrosse. I went to enough classes to keep being able to go to school. Uh, I learned how to write. I was a rhetoric major. Wow. I continued to improve my written skills. And, you know, and that's it. Like I got okay grades. Okay. did a lot of drugs and had a great time and kind of, I mean, I had a blast my first three years. And then I interned for MTV in the summer of 83. And after you send a, spend a summer in New York city, you're like, what, yeah. what yeah. the hell? Different world. I right? came back for my fourth year. Kind of like, wow, UVA is kind of racist and homophobic and sexist. Wow. And, but I stayed, I lived in Columbia for the summer in 1983, oh, really? yeah, my fraternity had a chapter at Columbia. Oh, come on. Riverside and 160. Oh, yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, That's, yeah, I like that neighborhood. Morningside Heights, right? That's a good neighborhood. Yeah. There's some stuff going on. Great. Subway's close. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. The, the guys were nice. And when you're 21 years old and the summer in New York and you don't have much money, but you're like, this is just, I mean, New York still was very, very, very much like the had the 70s vibe. Oh, yeah. You know, so when I moved back in 84, it's like, you know, the, all the places that were in Taxi Driver were still there. I lived in the oh, apartment man. next to the one where Kaitel is shot by De Niro. Oh, no. Taxi Driver. Wow. It was in wow. front of a place called Hudson Outfitters. I lived in a brownstone right there. The disco, the donut shop variety theater was there. The donut shop on the corner where Jody Foster is putting all the oh sugar and coffee. Oh, man. Unbelievable. Like, then the Palladium open. You meet, like, Andy Warhol. I mean, just shit. New York was so fucking great. That, so that building, that, like, incredible build. I mean, there's so much. I mean, just in Taxi Driver, like, that scene, man. I can never forget that scene. And I do you were you conscious of it at that time? And Taxi Driver came out what like late seventies, mid to late seventies. Yeah, I mean it was it was palpably dangerous. Right, you'd walk down Third Avenue. There's no NYU dorms. None of the shit right there at Astor Place. There's St. Mark's Pizza right on the corner. St. Mark's, all punk rockers, all like the real deal. And it was a dangerous little walk down. Um, I'm just like any old early '80s New York pre pre Dinkins pre Julie. I mean, this was the era of Ed Koch, like just oh yeah, terrible. Tompkins yeah. Square Park was truly frightening. Wow, but yeah. that that frightening it, it, did that still did that kind of keep a certain cultural undertone that was like fucking cool that you grabbed very much towards? so punk yeah. rock you know the whole definitely CB going, going to cbs yeah 
we were in a terrible band, me and all these PAs from MTV. We were in a terrible band that played at CBs. Like we were terrible, but we brought in a lot of, of our friends from MTV who drank a lot. So they'd let us play a couple of times. What did you play? Everything badly. Okay. All right. So the music started early. Yeah, but I was terrible. But it was like, it doesn't matter if you're like, let's just say you go and you see the butthole surfers. Yeah. And you're 23 years old and you're like, holy shit. And your your eyes are just open to a whole new level of what expression could be, what music could be. And the great thing about New York then, and I, and I still feel it, there's an energy in the city that's great, but like, it's just you walk and you walk and there's an art gallery and there's people and there's punk rock and there's hip hop. And at that time in the early 80s, hip hop and punk and were really like all of it was merging together mm-hmm. and it was very, very, very open. Right. So there was a lot of cross pollination. And so I just gobbled it all up. Right. Experimental film. Yeah. Art. I, you know, I, was, I grew up in the suburbs of Baltimore, went to a little prep school. I grew yeah. up very sheltered in retrospect. And did, uh, did you pick lacrosse or was that, did you, did your brother play lacrosse or something? Like, how did you, how I was going to play that? football. I was going to play football and I wanted to play in the pros like my dad had played, but oh, I yeah. tore my knee up uh, in oh, high man. school. Yeah. Would you, okay. would you, did you get, did you, were you like pressured to play? No, no, never. Okay. All right. I loved it. That was good. But do you, do you still love it? Do I still love football? Yeah. Watching it, you mean? Yeah. Not as much. Okay. Let's see. My my yeah, I like watching it, but like my observation of as an old fucker now at seeing the change in pro football. Yeah. From how I grew up watching it and exploring it, even able to look back over my shoulder at like the era where my dad played and it's like the changes in football are so great. Um, the game's gotten so violent and so, but yeah. so legislated and so specialized mm-hmm. and prima donnas. And, you know, I mean, but yeah. like look, high school kids are making money and name image likeness. It's oh, yeah. the sports and the commodification of sports. It's just, it's, it's increased like the way the country has just changed and everything's just about money. Now, not yeah. that people weren't making money in the sixties or the eighties or 2002, but the overwhelming imbalance in my mind is just what's kind of like fucked up. Oh yeah. It is an imbalance. And then that, that influx that you're talking about, about like punk rock, hip hop, first wave shit i feel like all of that stuff is kind of gone too because it's all in silos now like everyone has their own community that they can kind of cherry pick there's not an epicenter what i feel like that kind of that fucks things up too don't you think no yeah i was having a great conversation with a guy today about consensus and community and the disintegration of that center via the technological Right, Seinfeld's on a share to point four, right? Like just as you say, niche, 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 right? Right. 
And um, like I think like Kurt Anderson's book, Evil Geniuses, really is a great like two books I like to tell people like like that's a great book that just kind of gives that post-World War II history of the United States and just like all the way up to now, like how we got here, right? How did things get this way? And that's not to say, look, there's great art. And I have discussions with my daughter who's 21 all the time. Like, she's got her artists and she's got her things. Right. But I look at the anxiety and the social things on her generation now and the, the mental health mm-hmm. of kids now versus when even 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And it's it's very concerning. It's very, very concerning. And um, so you don't want to be one of those like, get off my lawn. Things were better yeah. in the 70s or they were better in the 90s. Yeah. But like, you know, I mean, it just was different. So you can't mm-hmm. wind back time. And right. You can't do it with the environment or the film business or, you know, we want more truth tellers. We want more like, where's the great angry rock music? Where's the great passionate like consensus um i don't know i have a hard time for me finding it uh but there's still great art and great music and great poetry and dance and there's still great great vital diverse voices and writing and just more at the fingertips of anybody that they could ever want so you're right silos people can kind of like cherry pick i like this i like that i like this i like that I guess that's like one good thing about it is that kind of like, as you mentioned, like you don't, there's not the pressure of having like an 80 share anymore, because I don't think people think that's a realistic possibility. And maybe that breeds more content to come out. Maybe some of it is like dog shit, but some of it can find its own community and its yeah. own, uh, its own guys or go or, or people. Right. Still hard to get TV shows made, hard to get movies made. Yeah. You know, with all the channels and avenues, right? everybody wants to do it, right? Yeah. I, re- meant- I remember, yeah. like, going in and pitching a TV show about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And you go with, like, a legit, you know, TV writer and a legit, like, executive producer. And I went into, like, I think it was, like, Stars or AMC. Mm-hmm. Hey, how you doing? The pleasantries. And I just was like, wow. So you guys just to get this, just sit here. Like they each sit there on their throne, right? Yeah. And like, okay, bring it on. Tell me your story. Give me your pitch. Mm-hmm. Eh, nah, close. Right. I mean, because they hear everything. Right. So they can sit there and be like selective because they only need to make X amount of things, but you got this many to do this many. Right. So as a creator, you got to just like keep, keep, keep working it, keep working. Nobody's going to come to you. Maybe if I was Paul Thomas Anderson or like, I love hearing stories from Soderbergh, who's my idol or Scorsese or these guys are like how hard it was. I was like, it's hard for everybody. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, it's not hard for P.T. Anderson. He writes his new script. Right. He like, calls, like, hey, you want to be in my movie? How you want to be in my movie? Boop. And it's like, it ain't hard. You don't feel like many people is it not hard for? I don't know. Um, I feel like you have that to a degree now. He what? I feel like you have that now. 
I no mean, way. Can, oh, no come way. on, man. <laughs> it's so hard for me to get a movie made. Yeah. I, it's, I feel like it's hard just in general in the climate. You like Soderbergh? What about him? The amount think? of stuff he makes, how prolific yeah. he is. I've met him a few times. He gave me great advice. He's just like, just goes and goes and makes shit. And like, like all right, he's just going to go make a digital series and put it on oh, his yeah. website. And Yeah. Yeah, or make a movie that. and then make a movie like and ha- integrate it into an app. And you need to work on the app to figure out what the ending is. That's like classic him, right? Yeah. Well, I got yeah, go I ahead. Gotta make a, uh, I made this dance film last year. So I just yep. keep making stuff. I'm going to have this company next year. I'm doing a book. I'm publishing a book that's kind of a 40-year memoir, process memoir about making shit, music videos, commercials, documentaries, movies, everything over a 40-year career, anecdotes, how to, what to right. avoid, you know, just kind of like, like a big DVD commentary. And it's called The Visualist. Oh, wow. And so it's going to come out. And I want to do like a podcast and tie it together, even like teach or something. And it's just kind of like give back and try to inspire and give back. And with this little company called Vinegar Syndrome, well, they're called Decanalog, is going to do it like a few seat, few DVDs of like the super obscure like stuff I've made that nobody's ever really seen or very, very rarely seen stuff over the last 20 years, Mm. you know, because you make stuff that never gets aired or weird videos that the, that the label says no to or something like that. So over the years you collect them. So that's kind of like, that's your archives. Most of them are on my website. Yeah, Everything I've ever made is pretty much on my website. Yeah. That's cool. The dance, how did the dance film, having because that's the severing and i mean that just came out this year because like yeah, thank I, god I, thank yeah. god for kino lorber oh yeah because so you made so i made a music video yeah i made three music videos for a speed metal band from arizona called sacred reich they're right. friends of mine mm-hmm. and they said hey, we want to make a couple of videos we don't have much money i was like that's fine don't worry about it and there was this DP, this girl who was Dutch, I really wanted to work with. Like, this is great. This will be a chance to get to work with her. Right. And and I said to him, I said, there's this song on the record that I really want to do. Can you give me $5,000 more? I'll make four videos for you. If you let me do this other song and I'll do one extra song, just give me five grand more and we'll make four for 25 instead of you know, three, whatever it was, right? Hmm. Right. They're, they're getting a deal, right? They're getting a bonus. Because yeah. all they really want is the band playing, right? It's fine. Okay. My buddies said, I want to make this other video for this other song, and you're not going to be in it. They're like, hmm. okay, cool. So I had seen this Gaspar Noe film, Climax, hmm. and I loved the dancing in it, the movement in it, and I loved the choreographer. So I called her and I said, will you do this video with me? It's right. about grief. And how body lays in the grief, because I've had a lot of grief in my life. And I felt narrative films, The Last Word and Nostalgia, these other ones, they kind of tiptoed into it. But there was a different kind of expression about really the pain that I felt like maybe dance or in the body could, somebody in the body could express that. 
That was the concept. That was it. That's all I had. So we went and shot the videos for the band and spent probably about three hours shooting these dancers, you know, like seven different spaces over the course wow. of like three to four hours. And um, I had all the footage, made the video, but I had all it laid out, like the long string of them, like the dancers, like full pieces. And I strung it out and it was like 90 minutes. And I was like, I told the other, I said, let's just cut it down to about 70 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And then let's put some other music under it. And I got some pieces from different bands and different artists I'd worked with and just laid it under. And because um, I said, you got to get to 70 minutes for me to, to be a movie. Because I had made this thing for this artist, musical artist a few years before called Chelsea Wolf and a really mm-hmm. cool music film called Lone. But it was like mm-hmm. 50 minutes, and 50 minutes is like no man's land, right? Yeah. Really, it's like, who watches 50 minute shit? Right. Who buys it? Nobody. Festivals are like, eh. Mm-hmm. But if you make a feature of it, at least you get a fair shot, you know? Right. So the severing, sure enough, I make it. COVID, it's all during COVID. Nothing happens. Oh, yeah. And anyway, about a year later, but I showed it to a couple of people and I did some different work on it. And then my friend at Slam Dance, Paul Rackman, I showed it to him. He goes, This is the kind of movie that Slam Dance should. Mm-hmm. And um, so they played it at Slam Dance. And we got about a dozen, 15 reviews, and they're all really, really interesting and really positive. And so, you know, there's a what, like five or six places that might be interested in distributing it. So I got their names and wrote it and sent it and got a lot of courteous passes. But then Kino Lorber was like, we love this. This is amazing. Of course, they have like no money for it. Like when they say they bought, but it doesn't matter. They'll get it out in the world. It'll be on their site. Try and do a little theatrical, try and get it in some festivals. And sure enough, you know, we we did about a dozen screenings and it's out in the world. It was like a real movie, you know what I mean? Rather than sitting on my website. You love, it seems, and I think I'm right, you love accompanying images to music. And love it. you've done this, you're, I mean, a, a long time. So when did that interest start? Like, when do you go from experimental film um to wanting to to basically having that interest of like accompanying those two things well i think since the beginning i was Mm -hmm. never really into film growing up i mean i i didn't really go to the movies much i mean not i never would say oh i was really into film when i was growing up no i was Mm -hmm. into music 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 yeah so i guess when i worked at mtv and got a job making promos stuff in between the videos and I learned the visual side and would watch videos all day. Be like, oh, that's cool. Oh, I like that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just like was inspired by stuff that I liked. I had no training in shooting anything. So I started making stuff by taking images from videos and stock footage and text. And I just started making my own like found, you know, like, yeah. And you start making your own ideas. And conceptualizing, I want to say this, but with other people's images. Yeah. Then at MTV, you start shooting your own images for it in a little docu thing. I want to do 10 promos, and they're all about music. So I'm going to interview a guy at a record store in Hoboken, 
uh, VJ at Private Eyes in New York, a sound guy here, another record store guy, a band in Washington Square Park. So they're all about music. They're 30-second little documentary. They're content. We're making content, essentially. If they let you make them a minute long, you could have made them a minute long. So you start making things a little bit longer. So you kind of fall into the filmmaking, start directing music videos on the weekend. First one for 3000 bucks, then 7000 bucks. And somebody likes that and says, hey, you want to do this one? So all through your 20s, you just start making, you're just making shit and people are giving you another chance. Hey, you want to do this band? And they're on Warner Brothers. And you're like, sure. Yeah. And that's a hit. They're like, hey, you want to do blah, blah, blah. And you're like, sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the the first, would you say it's that Silent Morning song? Was that the first video or did you make one before that? Oh, it's the second one. Okay. What was the first one? First was for a band called Deep Six. Mm-hmm. They right here. They're on Coyote Records. Okay. Black and white, some sock footage, some color, yeah. some text. It's on my site. And then Noel, Silent Morning. Mm-hmm. Then... Was it Information Society? Information Society, right? Yeah, because it was the same manager and the same producer. Yeah, there one before that. I, don't know, I think what's on your beat. mind was big. Yeah, but that was huge. That was the first hit. Yeah, yeah. never forget the manager of Noel, right? Mm-hmm. Vito Bruno, and I think he ran for like senator in Brooklyn recently. Oh, okay. And he goes, when I said, "Why is your Why is your production company named Two Rivers Productions?" They asked me, I said, because Vito Bruno told me if this video didn't get played, he had two rivers, he could drop drop me. Oh, in. man. Pressure, huh? Do you that feel story, that? That story is in my book. Okay. All right. right. You love, it seems like, in, let, let's say the, so the Noel one, that's one thing. Because the guy, like, the, I, um, he's like dancing. He's in on the bed. rooftop. On the rooftop. Yeah. And he's like, I feel like that was probably a craze at that point. I mean, that was his biggest hit. Dude, like that, that just, song, yeah. you could not be in New York that summer without hearing that song. In Man. every everywhere, that shit was huge. There was a mm-hmm. club called 1018 on 18th Street and 10th Avenue. Mm-hmm. Latin hip-hop club. Crazy. Yeah. So, I went so. around with them one night. This is uh-huh. here. Check this out. Okay. Deep Six, the summer before. Rock band. I had toured with them cross-country amplifiers in the van traveling 10 hours to a city amplifiers in the hotel back to the gig 12 people there they make like 20 bucks right yeah yeah fucking grind brutal yeah noel drives around in a town car brooklyn queens manhattan staten island Mm -hmm. goes to a huge like club gets up on the stage Lip syncs his song Silent Morning, right? Yeah. Fucking mobbed crowd. It was like insane. Smoking a cigarette with his white yep. top, mm-hmm. doing his thing with his moves. And his gig was that he would at the end throw his lit cigarette into the crowd, which like the girls went bananas for. Right. Yeah. Song ends, people mobbing him, like literally bodyguards taking him through the crowd. Oh man! Into the waiting town car to the next gig. Like made tons of money. Vito yep. Bruno tons of money. It yep. was incredible. In one night, I mean, come on. However much he made, 
way more than the band who traveled all the way to Minnesota. Oh, yeah. But that was his only right hit. There right? was a great, that right there was a great prescient kind of observation I should have made mm-hmm. about one artist, electronic music, good looking, right? So looks, yeah. pop music, ease are always going to trump grind and hard rock, you know, music. I don't know. Is that, is that true? In I mean, terms of the ease, the ease. Yeah. So, technology brought about like a lot of those rock guys just started making music on computers right but that's not a i mean like i guess it depends on what the barometer of success is or like what the point of it is i feel like the grind doesn't the grind give you better stories and resilience and stuff (laughs) i don't know that would be a good little short documentary for me to interview because I'm best friends with the guy in Deep Six, interview him and Noel and say, okay. Oh, yeah. Forty yeah. years later. Yeah. Retrospective. Yeah. All right. But you know, and I, I don't know how many bands I knew that were like when they when they hung up their spikes, right? Like my friends the Connells, and I made a few videos for them, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the great thing for was bands when they didn't have to have their day jobs anymore, right? If they mm-hmm. could keep playing music and not have a day job, that was incredible, right? Yeah. But then how long could they keep going as a band? Oh, yeah. That's Guy tricky. gets married, guy says mm-hmm. this, ascension. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- that's definitely... All right. So then you see, you've seen... I feel like you've seen a lot of bands. You've seen a lot of artists. And you've made a lot of videos. So, like, I remember... I think in the early, this was probably in the late 80s, um, you met, you kind of, did you see that there was a sea change happening in hip hop, like from the early 80s? Because it seemed like it became more about activism. I mean, I just think about that, that De La Soul video, Say No Go, right? I mean, it yeah. seemed like it was about like raising awareness of drug use, drug abuse, kind of like the antithetical climate or element of the war on drugs. Did you kind of feel that movement happening in, in hip hop and in other like genres of music? Mm, that message, like that was in the lyrics. So that was just interpreted, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure that you would, uh, people would ever say the LSO was like a big political band. Mm-hmm. A few years later, I made a video with two other guys. Stephen Croninger and Lewis Clark were both filmmaker animators for Public Enemy. Shut them down. Mm-hmm. That was super oh, yeah. political. Yeah, and, and so, like, my friends at MTV, Ted Demi and Peter Doherty, formed uh, MTV Yo MTV Raps. Oh yeah. So those were the guys. Those were the hip hop guys. Those were like they knew it inside out. They would have been, God rest both their souls. Yeah. To answer that question, I just was like, ooh, Dale Soul was cool. Dale Soul was cool. My friend Peter Lauer did me, myself, and I. Ooh, I want to mm-hmm. do one. Great. So that's kind of how it was. I did a piece for Red Hot and Blue for the Jungle Brothers. I get a kick oh, yeah. out of you. And that was a cool little, like, you know, AIDS awareness piece. And, you know, but I didn't sit there with, you know, whatever the guy's name. I forget the guy's names and jungle. It was just like, great, do the piece. And um, it's like, get the track. Here's the idea that I want to do. 
and do it. Sometimes you collaborate with the artist. Most times you just kind of got the track and said, Bloop, here's what yeah. we do. Let's go. But you use, I mean, and you use a lot of like visuals. I mean, obviously, but I think the one of the main signatures, and I think this is in a lot of your videos, is you use text and you use phrases um, to I kind of to. show, yeah, like how, how people like feel and what their emotions are. So you kind of, what led to that? What kind of inspired that, those choices? Well, when I was making promos, mm-hmm. early promos, and you're like, okay, I got to make a promo for Madonna, mm-hmm. a Madonna world premiere video. You got to make the 30 second promotional spot for it, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes if they give you a whole video, you're like, oh, you just chop it up and you're making a little like, boop, boop, boop. like but one time I, I remember it was like, Jesus, they've, there's like a slide because they were being really, you know, so you have to be like at one slide from the video. So I have to take the slide and rephotograph it a little bigger, a little bigger. And then I can tint this and tint that. And then I'm like, Ooh, Madonna, I'll put the letter M. Right. And then ooh, the M and I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking like, Oh, M motion, motion. So type up on the screen motion. Uh, a a action attitude okay attitude so i make the madonna promo the letters madonna because you got one slide you got to make some shit happen right right the slide moves across slide moves across screen goes red letter m a mad madonna motion right so i'm just editing right for you five frames three frames eight frames and over the course of the promo, you're like, Madonna, it has an air of mystery because it's only mm-hmm. one image. So you keep seeing the same eye or whatever. You've given the subtext of, you know, action, dance, attitude, you know, whatever the word, the letter words were. Mm-hmm. We do this whole thing in a few hours and boop, on MTV Tuesday, promo. You just, once you're doing those all the time. So your skill sets, and your experimentation, and then you're making your own promo, and like, well, at the point of what's first person, what's third person? I make a promo. Every we started using big words, and then commercials would start using big words, and I'm like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. And at night, I wrote a thing that said, these are words, these are people don't understand. Little tiny text, right? Tiny, tiny text, and I make it, and it's just white screen, white words on a black screen with this ominous soundtrack. It was like a 60-second thing that kind of attacked the passivity of the audience. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like really weird. Just words on a screen, mm-hmm. mind-blowing. People flip for it. Because in the clutter of MTV, it was just like... Oh, yeah. So in the yeah. dynamics, it stood out, which was the point. So we'd be in promos. We're like, fuck, how are we going to stand out? Yeah. Everybody's going left, we're going to go right. Everybody's going blue, we're going to go green. Mm-hmm. So we were reactionary, generally, to what was going on. We were trusted by our bosses, and they're like, there's no focus groups. It was just like, mm-hmm. you at least got a chance to make it. Sometimes they're like, great, put it on the air. Very rarely, you, you were never reprimanded because you weren't like doing, you weren't hurting anybody. Yeah. And success or confidence begets success and confidence, right? Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so that was like the contrast that allowed those videos to kind of stand out. So we were the promos. 
Yeah. So you start applying that to doing music video because I watched every music video made from the time I started working there in 1984. They had image reels. So every programming would send out the things you'd use them for promos or whatever. I watched every, I saw every video. Which ones did one uh, resonate more than others? They all resonated. They were all. But you'd see these obscure English videos or punk rock Mm -hmm. videos. You're like, holy shit. Like, what is that? Yeah. Who's that Peter Kerr video for Cabaret Voltaire? You're like, who are Cabaret Voltaire? (laughs) Who is Peter Kerr? Why is this camera doing this crazy 180? That thing still sticks in my mind. Mm-hmm. I met him years later. He did uh, many, many great videos, Man on the Moon for REM. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember when I met him, I said, I got to tell you, I was like a PA at MTV and I saw that video. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Holy shit. So I just had a meeting this morning with this guy and I said, God, where do you find the new videos? And he was talking about, you know, there's a site called uh, Video uh, Static that shows a lot of videos. And then he was telling me about one in. Uh, England, it's called Promo News, which is, and then another one that he was describing where a woman curates it and puts like, what was it called? 1.4. Okay. You just, if you want to watch videos now, how, how do, who curates videos anymore? Oh, yeah. That well, form that's... has just really suffered. So, yeah, it's kind of like, it seems like the same impetus behind the archive, man, putting the stuff out so people can see it. So, like, and it seems like in the 90s, I mean, you worked on a ton of bands, on a ton of videos. I mean, you worked with the U2 a ton, right? You worked with uh, Whale. You did that seminal video for them, like Silver Chair, Bon Jovi. Out of those experiences, I mean, do you feel like it's each video is different each time in terms of how much input you're taking from the artist, like how much control they want versus like interpreting the lyrics? Like, do you have a consistency in your process or does it change each time i would say for better or for worse because it's backfired on me a little bit at times mm-hmm. but i think i've made like 120 videos it's yeah, not that many that's a lot man yeah but over 40 years like that's some years i made five some years i made one you do a movie you don't make any um some of the videos in the last four years that I made are some of my favorites because mm-hmm. they're like blown out. Like Imagine Dragons, like a music film, 13 mm-hmm. minutes. Demi Lovato, eight minutes. So what you've applied, and this started in like 2015 with like Cage the Elephant and Lincoln Park. And like, you just, you get the instrumental stems and you're just like three minutes is not enough, right? Mm-hmm. You want to expand your ideas. And if you get the instrumental and the bands are into it, yeah, you know, really expand it. Like Cage the Elephant, Matt Schultz and I came up with an idea, and I wrote the treatment, and he trusted me, and like his girlfriend was the girl in it. Like that was like the ideal Silver Sun pickups. Oh yeah. So there's the wave in the late '80s. Then there was everything up to Jeremy. After mm-hmm. Jeremy, it was like just do whatever you want. Like people yeah. like do whatever you want. As long as it gets played. And I was like, well, I can't guarantee that. But the process of like, here's the song. I listen to it. I listen to it. And it either starts coming out of my head or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And when it does, I trust it. Like, 
and it might be 10 pages of stream of consciousness and notes and fragments and images and then maybe a narrative. My brain didn't think narratively story-wise until the more movies I did and TV stuff I did, my brain would start working towards that, towards character. Mm-hmm. So they used to just be theme and image. Then they became character or premise. You know, they're never look, but they're just super subconscious. Like, can I hear and see this? And mm-hmm. Sometimes they're melanges of it, you know? So, okay, here the band performing with these imagery and there's no narrative, but then they're just kind of poems that are crafted. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the narrative is buried and buried under symbolism. And I know what the story is like in Lincoln park. Me and the editor really know what it is and what it represents, but no mm-hmm. one would ever know what the, but it's an abstracted story, mm-hmm. which it's harder to sustain it 20 minutes or 40 minutes. Yeah. You know, like my, I did a short film called night walkers. It was 30 minutes and it's like musical, but not a song driven. It's like, yeah, that sort of stuff just kind of like loses its steam. Mm-hmm. People need some sort of plot or usually some sort of thing to guide them. Right. They're like what the fuck's going on with this? Yeah. So, but my process is like, I listen to the music. I'm like, ooh, I like that. I like the feeling. I like the way it makes me feel. And great. Other times, yeah, I forced myself into it. My rep sent me a thing for Jared Leto's band, mm-hmm. 30 Seconds from Mars. And, it's like, and, and I can tell when I'm writing whether I'm forcing it mm-hmm. or not. A little bit, but you're still like, okay, then it becomes a little more like a commercial. And you write it. And sometimes you write it and you love it and you feel it. And it's like, doesn't land, doesn't click for them. It's okay. So yeah. if I went through the process of four hours and just let it out and they it didn't connect for them, okay, but you try to sniff out before. Mm-hmm. If it's like, oh, we want you to write and there's 10 other people writing the treatments, that's been more, you know, more in the last three, four years, that thing. I'm like, eh. I'd rather just find the artist or have somebody come to me and have it be the right fit. I don't want to, I don't want to compete with a bunch of people for a, to make $2,000 and work. Like if I love the song, I will. Right. But they, some treat bands now will sometimes send you things. So here we want it to be like this video, this video, and this video, and here's the palette and here's the idea. And you're like, they shouldn't come to me for that. Yeah. Because they want you to, because they want you to like repeat something you've already done. No, because like I'm like they should just direct your own video. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess that's a line. I'm 60 years old, bro. Like okay, like there's not many 60 year old guys making music videos. My favorite one last couple years, I made one for Not a Surf, the band. Dude, I I fucking love that one. That's like one of my favorite videos of yours. That's what the buildings kind of like. You have the um. It's like tons of buildings. It's at night. There's like a bridge thing. Yeah. It's fucking Wrong. great. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we made that yeah. for $5,000. No, come on. Come on. Total freedom. Matthew was great. His father's voice going throughout. That was like a little music film. Oh, man. That one was like, fucking so Artists like that or for low or whatever. So I don't remember. Like, I don't do the ones for the for treatment. Oh, it hasn't worked out. 
because mm-hmm. the business has changed. Yeah, and go watch the videos, and they want whatever. They want Drake or mm. go look at the last Blink One Eighty Two. Like just that garbage. Oh, I seen it. Yeah, and they're just. There's no ideas. There's no emotion. There's no ideas. There's no point of view. Because they don't want to, I don't think they want to take the same risks. They just want to identify their focus group audience and try to just give them what they want. They're like diluting it, right? They suck. Yeah. Not as someone, sort of one is fucking shit. All right. So then. um, Good English videos. Good European bands. and Yeah. Still stuff being made. They're still great artists and talent, but. I'm going to do one for this band called Kim B. Mike. K-I-M-B-E-M-I-K-E. Great kind of like Portis head. Right? Oh, wow. Okay. Meet a little Cocteau twins, female vocalist, oh, but nice. really emotional. I'm like, they're fans of my work. It's about grief. And, sp- and I, you know, they've never really made stuff before. So I'm looking forward to making stuff with them. The, the kind of the transition to features. I mean, I think the going all the way, that was the first one. Um, and I think and the should... last one. My re- <laughs> oh, my that was director. your, yeah, that was your director's cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was oh, last, that last year, so right? Full circle. Yeah. You're going to re-edit your first movie. How was that, man? Like your back. first movie that nobody sees, and you redo it and nobody sees it. It's fucking great. <laughs> How's that experience going back? It was great. Oscilloscope is awesome company. I love them. They supported us making it. Do a mm-hmm. three-hour documentary making and putting it on the Blu-ray. The movie's 50 minutes of new footage, new score. Wow. I got a chance to redo my first movie. I love it. It's a gem. It'll be uh, seen for its glory no, one it's day. Great. It's great. How was working with, uh, I mean, like, I don't think people knew who Ben was, really. How was working with that cast and working on that story, which is wild. It was great. It was, you know, 28 years ago. That's a long time. So they're all big. And like when it was coming out, he was like, God, I had a great time doing that movie. I, yeah. I wish he had been able to, you know, just give a little support to the thing. But, you know, like it. can you imagine his life and his schedule? Oh. Uh, I married to J-Lo and Batman. Like, he's a busy guy. I guess. I don't know. Marriage. Does marriage make you more busy? I don't know. You could have just like <laughs> what you wanted was like him to like put out a social media post. Hey, oh, yeah, yeah. But you think about it. If he did that for every movie that was re-edited, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. I feel like he could do that for every re-edited release. Of he course. That many movies. <laughs> you know, is he, is he going to do it for like I, I don't know. You, But you think your movie's special, so He'll he'll do it for uh he'll do it for Goodwill Hunting. Look, your memory of a thing, right? Have a got a good humbling story. Your memory of an experience. Oh my God, it was incredible and I mm. bad. And it's enough that he had written me an email after I wrote him an email after his performance in um, the Way Back. You know where he oh, played this. Yeah, alcoholic. Sober. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like I'm sober, and I wrote him an mm-hmm. email. Congratulations, man. That was fucking amazing performance. Blah, 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 blah. And he wrote me back. Thanks a lot. That I appreciate it. And I was like, hey, I might be redoing going all the way. He's like, God, I had a great time on that movie. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's it. Very civil, very nice. Right. Mm-hmm. So the fact that, like, hey, I made it. Now can you, 
you know, and he couldn't get behind to promote it. And I know why he couldn't, mm-hmm. right? And I knew the ultimate reason why and dredging up, you know, stuff that happened at Sundance that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And I understand that. So cool. And, you know, I just got a chance to do the movie. But that was my, like, my association with him in that time. I did a video for Dave Matthews in... 2003 right incredible mm-hmm. for grave digger oh yeah early, ep- early epic video right amazing mm-hmm. yep and i remember about four years ago five years ago my and it was a great experience working with dave and the whole thing and then five years ago my nephew was in his early 20s it's like hey i'm going to see dave matthews and we got backstage and we're gonna get to meet dave Right? I'm like, awesome. Mm-hmm. Tell Dave I said hello. Yeah. So we made that video, and my late wife found his wedding ring that he lost in the mud in Montana. Like, incredible. You go through that experience, right? Man. And so, like, maybe two weeks later, I said, oh, how is the show? And my nephew's like, oh, great. And I said, did Dave say anything? He goes, yeah, he didn't say anything when I mentioned your name, like you didn't remember who you were. I was like, cool. Now I think about it. I was like, how many videos has Dave Matthews made? Yeah. Over his life. Mm -hmm. You would have thought maybe like, wow, the guy flies from Seattle to Montana at 6 a.m. for four days in a row to be in this video. You would have think like, maybe he'd be like, I remember that. Oh yeah. I remember him. Tell him I said, hi. Right, but it was like, hmm. so my subjective memory of that experience and how it stayed with me far greater than, right. so it doesn't invalidate it. It's just, that was like a really memorable video. We recreated these incredibly dark, beautiful scenes. It was about grief and cinematic and ellen curris shot it in montana it was like wow. it was unbelievable it still holds up it's a really solid piece of work yeah no in terms of uh that's fucking awesome by the way all right so in terms of the features though like yeah. one i think that really resonated and you've made a bunch and it seems like they're all different but the i melt with you and I mean, that one... Uh, showing it, if you lived out here, I'm showing it November 15th at this kind of screening. No. Thing. Oh, and Rob, Rob, Rob Lowe is going to come and we're going to do a Q&A. Rob Lowe calls, I met with you, the apocalypse now of male bonding <laughs> to this. Incredibly destroyed at a press screening in Sundance. Um by all the walkouts, like, how do you walk out of a movie? Did you walk out before they all started to kill themselves? Um, a little bit naive, thinking that yeah. they will look at my two-hour and 20-minute experimental cut and just look at it as it was it was, as opposed to be judging it like mm-hmm. any other movie. So, like, oh, okay. We got creamed by critics. Not quite as bad as the reviews I just read of Pool Man by mm-hmm. um, Chris Pine out of Toronto. Mm-hmm. But 
like the piling on and I, I'm like, Ooh, I felt it because it was really tough. But the two good things that come out of it is last year, three things, Tom uh, uh, Quinn, who runs neon now that ran Magnolia. Mm-hmm. We had an email exchange and he said he holds up and that's still one of his favorite movies. Yeah. Cool. Two, a fan of the movie was a great filmmaker and writer that I met named Alex Ross Perry. Oh yeah. Wrote my movie nostalgia mm-hmm. and three Rob Lowe was in a England, a London hotel or restaurant about five years ago. And Chrissy Hind of the pretenders came over to him and was all over him and said that, I'm out with you was her favorite film of all time. Wow. I'm like, fuck off. Mic drop. Right. I love that movie. It changed my way of thinking about working with actors, the way I shot, did it for 800 grand on the 5d. Oh my God. Five, four cameras, five cameras, no trailers, no nothing. And just the immediacy of making it um, was so much fun. And over the years, I get a lot of people that have responded to the movie. You know, kind of a specific audience. You know, uh, it's not for everybody, but that's the great thing about movies and getting them out that they can stay in the world. Yep. So how did, it, how did it change how you think about working with actors? Well, you know, okay. So if you're shooting on a 5d, right. And you can just, you don't have 10 minute. It was the first digital film that I made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so not like the Alexa now or these things that are mm-hmm. nice and clean. The, um, you don't have nine minute limits to a role. You just shoot. So you can say to an actor at the end of a seven minute scene, keep going. And the next thing you know, they've done three or four takes in a row and they're unconscious and the camera's only this big and there's people aren't running into lights and you can choreograph bigger, longer masters and actors just keep going. And it frees them up to, especially in that movie in the state of mind, let them just not even forget that they're acting. Yeah. I think the, the, across the board, even if people hated the movie, they're like, the performances were pretty good. And Piven and Jane and Rob, I mean, they all did great work in that movie. And um, so it just, it taught me to, um, you know, be able to push actors. And a couple of times that movie almost was falling apart and imploding because of the tensions between them. And I was like, I just like, hold on yeah let it go let the process emerge so the way we made it the small unit the small thing the subject matter the whole it was just it was it was great you know that's great man pure shooting pure image you know pure shot 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 not like oh i gotta wait an hour for lighting like fuck that yeah yeah, shot, and then uh, you got Maggot Brain. You got Pretty Vacant. I mean, pretty good music, right? 
got Paul Banks's solo brand, Julian Plenty. Yeah. Uh, fucking Love and Rockets, Jesus and Mary Chain, Bauhaus, Stone Roses. And then T- Tom and Andy, who you were with and quite Andy, a bit. My, my boys, yeah, my composer comrades. How's working with them? You worked with them on a few projects. Oh, I've, I've worked on them when from the first time they brought some music they made on Steve Jobs' Next Machine because they were getting mm-hmm. their PhDs at Princeton in mm-hmm. 1988. And they came to MTV and said, we want to make promos for your music. For your Their music became kind of the soundtrack to everything I did for certainly the next 15 years. Wow. Buzz, United States of Poetry, MTV promos, documentary on my father, Father's Days. Um, they did they did going all the way, but only a few pieces. They did Arlington Road, Mothman mm-hmm. Prophecies. So, you know, just then they, you know, they went this way and I went that way. They they didn't do the Henry Poole and anything. You know, they weren't the right guys for that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They so I came back and did I, I love them to death, but they're they're huge influences on me with their ideas, their sound, their texture, um, and just as human beings and great artists, super yeah. smart, lovely men. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, I just saw a movie. You just did a movie, made a movie about mental health, survive. I mean, that's a big component in that. I mean, that chick, she has PTSD. How is um? Is that something that you've, and you definitely explored that and I melt with you too. I mean, this theme of like suicide. I mean, where does that, oh. Jeremy too, right? I mean, it yeah, seems like all, all throughout your career. I'm the suicide guy. No, I mean, Survive was, um, Survive came to me. My manager said, hey, Quibi, you know, everybody wanted to jump on the Quibi train in 2019 because like make a movie for Quibi. They license it for their mobile app. And you get the rights back in 18 months to sell it mm-hmm. as a feature. Like that's a deal everybody wanted to take, right? Mm-hmm. So make these 10, 10 minute chapter films and then string them together. And then you could, so you go make the film. Nobody anticipated that the app would collapse, but it was basically a survival action tale with two great actors. Yep. And I really liked the script and it was, it was a job. And I was like, I could do a good job on this. I needed a good commercial thing because the last movie before that nostalgia was just like, you know, slow, quiet, you know, personal piece about grief. Mm-hmm. And um, so survive was like a gig and a chance to uh, love the score, love the composer, Pete Adams shot in Latvia and the Italian Alps and had a lot of action. I learned a lot. Shot 40 days. Sophie Turner was great. Corey was great. Yep. Um, and then was disappointed at the Quibi thing. And earlier this year, it got some really low-grade digital release. But now it's on cable. I'm like, you know, I literally watched it last night mm-hmm. on Stars. I'm like, great. It's out in the world, right? Yeah. It's in the world. I've gotten five emails today from people who saw it. And like, great. You know what I mean? You want your like college friends to be like, hey, I saw the movie. Mm-hmm. As opposed to like, where is it playing nearby? Because oh, yeah. nobody goes to movies anymore, right? 
So yeah. they're going to flip through their thing and be like, ooh, survive. It was fun. It was a job and it was fun. And you learn from it and you see themes come back. And um, yeah, I like, uh, I was watching it last night. So you're watching a movie, you're flipping around on cable and you're watching, and you're like, oh, what would I think of this movie if I happened upon it? Right. Oh, yeah. And I was like, pretty cool mm-hmm. and i like the score and then i was like oh there's yeah. some and i was like okay it's not as good as the gray it's not good as joe carnahan's the gray but i was like all right i was like oh sophie's good and then it came to another scene and i was like yeah god that's too sentimental and i was like yeah my my little sentimental side kicked in and I was like, okay, how would I have done that differently now? Um, and I was like, yeah, too many close-ups in that scene. Okay. And then the action went, it was really good. And then you look and you're like, okay, the same kind of issues you had with the script, but not, but then like, mm. so sometimes the emotion in making it, you know, it feels a lot, you feel a lot more making it and even editing it. And so like, so when I watch that now, three years later, and a scene came up and I'm like, yeah, that that doesn't, it doesn't resonate as much as it did when I made it. Whereas I can watch another, I watched Mothman Prophecies at a festival two weeks ago. And that movie holds up like a motherfucker. That movie's fucking great, man. Really, really. And we're doing a TV version of that movie. Oh, yeah? We're doing a TV show, yep. Man, we're should to the shit out of it. I hope to announce it soon. Okay. Man, this was fun, man. I really appreciate this. Uh, you pronounced my name right, which no one does. So that's nice. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, I love Janet Grillo, and I and I'm oh, a big yeah. fan of many of the people you've had on your show. I love talking to you. You make it really easy. Um, there's a Columbia professor, filmmaker, artist. That do you know who Lance Weiler is? Yes, I'm familiar with with who he is. I haven't met him though. Lance, you should do a thing with Lance. Okay, Lance is one of the smartest most visual inspiring guys you will get a lot out of talking with him he was a pioneer in storytelling he did the first really kind of uh, this movie the last broadcast Mm. uh, which was like he was a real pioneer and is a continuing pioneer in terms of like storytelling Mm -hmm. and uh visuals and he was a camera assistant on uh, my documentary about my father, Father's Days. Oh, and Lance wow. is a really, really inspiring, great guy and a professor at Columbia. Yeah, you should become a you should teach at Columbia. Yeah, well, I talked to Janet about it, about NYU. And do you mm-hmm. know Catherine Diekman? I, again, I haven't met her, but I know who she is. She'd also be very entertaining on your show. Okay. Filmmaker, writer, a lot of ideas, a lot of experience, a lot of perspectives, and very entertaining. And 
you brought a lot of perspective, man. And Thanks. I, uh, I really, I really appreciate it. Well, I guess one final thing. Do you, uh, you've been in a couple of Cameron Crowe movies. Yes. Do you, uh, is that, are you friends with him? How did that, how did that come about? Friends with him, met yep. him after Jeremy because mm-hmm. he was from Seattle and he knew all mm-hmm. those guys and we became friends and he became a mentor and a good friend. I saw him about a month ago and just a great, great, great guy. Great storyteller. You know, great, great person. This was a blast. Uh, thank you again. I really appreciate talking to you. Great. Send it to me so I could post it and get people to see it. You want me to send it to you after I've like edited it? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm sending it to you. All right, man. This was Real a blast. pleasure. Hope to see you again. Yeah.